So hello and welcome to CotyCast, the Care of the Elderly podcast for debate, discussion and analysis of various issues around geriatric and general medicine. My name is Peter Brock and I'm a registrar in geriatrics and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, my regular co-host Nick Saxton. Uh, and then we have two guests today, uh, Claire McDonald and Sarah Richen. I'm going to ask Claire and Sarah to introduce themselves and uh, explain their background a little bit as today we're going to be talking about uh, the academic pathway through medicine and the various different approaches you can take to it, what you can get from it as a career um, and hopefully interest some people in it in the future. So Claire, if I start with you, talk us a little bit about your background. So I'm currently a registrar in geriatric medicine, just coming to the end of my training and I combine that with academic training and that's called an academic clinical lecturer's post and I've been doing that for the last three years. Nice. And Sarah, what about you? Hello. Uh, Well, I am currently two-thirds of the way through my PhD um, and I was an academic clinical fellow before I um, did a bit of reg training and then started my PhD. Nice. And most importantly, you're a geriatrician, right? Certainly am. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so I might just start by asking you guys, myself and Nick, we're not academic trainees in any way. No. Although that said, I'm about to go out of programme, so I can talk about that too. But what got you guys interested in a more academic pathway in your careers? Uh, so for me it was a bit of luck really as I was finishing at medical school they advertised the first of the academic foundation posts I didn't really have any academic experience beforehand and at that time um, they were still fairly open and I applied for one of those and to my surprise got it and that's really what started me off down an academic path What about you Sarah? Uh, I also was quite lucky I think Um, I intercalated during my medical training at Newcastle um, and did a, an MRes, um, so I got kind of interested in doing research then. But then never really. Th- I knew about the academic pathway because it was a bit more established when I started as an F1. But I never really thought that I was clever enough to do that kind of thing <laughs> or uh, was suitable for that. So I did a normal foundation program, and then I saw the academic clinical fellow posts advertised, and um, I just thought that sounded great to combine both academic training and clinical training. And I was really interested in research, having previously done it mm. for, as yeah, in, yeah. when I integrated at university so I thought it sounded just like just a great opportunity to combine the both yeah. um, and I applied to it and again much to my surprise actually got it and that's just opened so many doors doing mm. the academic clinical fellowship. Did you feel that the MRes prepared you well for your ACF post? Yeah I think it, the um, MRes gave me a really nice introduction to research and allowed me to kind of explore a particular area of interest at that particular point um, and I kind of got some experience in research and I think that really helped me with the ACF kind of application process just because I had had an opportunity in the past to do some research and I think um, that's important when you're applying for the ACF posts. So at the moment both of you guys are actually in slightly different posts and you're doing a PhD in academic clinical lectureship. How does how do the various different types of these posts alter your sort of day-to-day or over the course of a year you're working balance between what you're doing on the wards and what you're doing in research so at the moment most academic clinical lecturers will do 50% clinical training and 50% research training and certainly in medicine that doesn't extend the length of your training and some of the other craft specialties they do need to extend it Um, so 
it's very much up to you and your supervisors and your project as to how you split that so for some projects you need to be there um, little and often in which case having a week where you do some clinical and some academic training will be better for me I've always found it quite helpful if I can separate the two because it means that your academic time doesn't get eaten into by the clinical time so at the moment I'm mostly full-time research which means I um, have most of the time working with the research team. I do two clinics a week and I still do some on-call. And then for the previous six months of the year, um, I was just like any other clinical reg at um, Northumbria Trust. So I'm moving in and out of research and academic. What's it like trying to squeeze your clinical competencies that you have to get done into half the time? So that's been okay. I think when I first started on the academic training, it was the very first year they'd done it. And so nobody quite knew who you were or what you were doing or how to support you. But it's much more established now. And certainly with Inco, the elderly people are very supportive and, you know, are keen to help you fill in forms and get stuff signed off in your logbook. And you do still learn quite a lot within your academic time. Obviously, that ticks off your research competencies, but it's also much easier to get things like management competencies in that time um, it's it, you have a bit more flexibility with that time so I can choose to do the clinics that I need to do to meet the sort of mm. learning outcomes that um, are sort of need to be signed off within a year so I haven't found it too difficult to do that it's it's been reasonably cool. okay excellent and then Sarah what about you for your PhD What's your clinical to academia balance at the moment? Well, so at the moment during my PhD, I'm full-time academic, mm-hmm. and that's the case for three years. Um, so that's very interesting, completely stepping out of programme for a period of time. Yeah. Um, I Obviously, my PhD is quite clinical, so I'm mm-hmm. still kind of seeing patients and, and things and, and gaining skills in a very specific area I suppose um but as Claire was saying the beauty of of doing research is that your time is your own essentially Mm. so um if you have a particular interest in a particular area or you want to go to a a particular clinic or go and visit somewhere else or whatever you you, you're you're you can you're your own boss and you can organize that so so at the moment I've been attending a clinic a week um whilst doing my PhD but it's all very flexible and do a few locums and things as well just to keep your hand in um i don't know if you want me to talk a bit more about the acf split why not yeah (laughs) (laughs) so um the acf is 75 percent clinical 25 percent um research Mm -hmm. um in the northern deanery the acfs start um after f2 while in the rest of the country acfs always start at the beginning of ST3 usually mm. um, so it's a bit different um, in in the Northern Deanery where, where I did my ACF um, but essentially it meant that I did CMT over a slightly longer period of time because yeah. I did sort of a certain amount of clinical training and then had um, a quarter of my CMT time so eight months essentially purely doing um, academic work. Mm. Did you have an idea when you started your ACF post what you wanted to do in terms of academic uh, stuff or not? Not really, no. So actually my ACF was in a totally different specialty to geriatrics, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought that that was the line I wanted to go down. But actually throughout my SHO training, my CMT training, I realised that actually I absolutely loved geriatrics Mm. for many different reasons. And um, so actually during my eight-month period of academic time, um, 
I kind of went in a totally different direction. And that's the beauty of um, the AFP and the ACFs and the ACLs is that that time is given to you um, to do what you want to do with. And so you can steer it in whatever direction you want. And so I spent a lot of my ACF time meeting people in various different locations and and things and trying to sort of narrow down a particular idea um, for my PhD, essentially, and then putting together funding applications essentially Mm. for fellowships okay but so Claire my my worry would be that I don't have much in the way of an idea about research so I don't know did you know exactly what you wanted to do research in or was that no I mean like Sarah I started with a research interest in a different specialty but I think it's research training it's not training in um a specific um, area so the skills that you learn even if you shift around a little while until you find the sort of research niche that's right for you those skills are all transferable and I think most successful projects are a combination of it being something that you're really interested in but you have to be realistic and it has to be something that the people around you can support so you need to know that there are going to be good supervisors that have an understanding of that area and that you have the infrastructure within the university to deliver the project that you want to do so I think it grows quite organically Mm. and it's fine you know I explored quite a few different ideas until it hit on what my PhD was Um, and but that like Sarah says was talking to different people that's how you develop it you're never going to come up with an idea pre-PhD that is totally your own and develop it from scratch it's very much you do something that fits in with other people's work and becomes your own I think that's a really important point I think um, very few people um, entirely kind of just come up with a light bulb idea and then go off and do it I think it's much more an idea that develops over time through talking to people who are already doing that type of research and once you realise what um, the capabilities are of the centre that you're working in and all that kind of thing so I think it's not to worry that you haven't had that light bulb moment because I think very few people wake up one day and think right I'm going to answer this question for my PhD or for whatever study I think that very rarely happens it's much more an idea that sort of develops over time that's a good point it must be uh, I was always you know quite intimidated by that but obviously you know it seems that perhaps going in it going into it with a slightly different frame of mind rather than oh my goodness I really have to have a, a big idea here before I go ahead and make oh, an yeah, application definitely. yeah I, I think the key is to talk to people and shop around and yeah. actually yeah you know you'll talk to enough people that something will come up and you think oh I really fancy that and I can make that my own and that's the the starting point yeah. rather than sitting on your own in a room trying yeah. to come up with an yeah. idea yeah. <laughs> the, the next yeah. kind of Nobel Prize winning yeah. project yeah, okay. yeah. And I think that's the key thing, is to find someone that you really like, who inspires you, who does research in an area that you're really interested in. And I think, that, as Claire says, there's no problem with shopping around a bit and going to talk to lots of different people who are research active and mm-hmm. finding someone who actually you feel that you could really work with. And I think that's what's really important. And then I think the idea and the project comes kind of later. Yeah. Once, I think it's all about going and talking to people and seeing what's going on and, and yeah. showing an interest, essentially. Okay. So it's interesting, isn't it, that there are there's the quite formal routes into sort of an academic career that are quite well defined. That you, you've already spoken about, so the academic foundation program and the clinical fellowship, and then the, the lectureship that you, you've gone on to, and then there are more informal routes that you can that you can get to from from speaking to people. So that's how your PhDs come around. Really, I mean, you start in the fe- academic clinical fellow program, but then 
presumably the grant application for your PhD was entirely separate to that. Is that right? Uh, well, no, no, I did my, so during my uh, 25% of my ACF time, mm. during that block, I basically wrote the fellowship application oh, and submitted see. it and then had interviews and, and that kind of process and then got the fellowship, essentially. So that's how that kind of all came about. Yeah. Many routes in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I think that's the thing. I think that's important as well, is that you don't have, just because you haven't done an AFP or an ACF or whatever, That I don't think that closes any doors I think it's just about being enthusiastic and if you've found an area that you particularly like or um, often people within the university will have little projects or big projects sitting there waiting to be done and they're just desperate for keen people to go and Mm. do those projects and I think it's just getting a bit of a foot in the door and and things there is always a need for um, for manpower in mm. research so if you think you're interested and you want to start or you want to start trying to build a cv to make you a more attractive candidate for grants or for mm. acf there will always be projects that people can or data people can give you to start looking at and just building stuff and get some publications mm. so. so you're coming to the end of your training uh, relatively soon tell me a little bit Claire, about uh, where you see your career going with with research or whether you feel um, the academic part is going to play a big uh, part of your career? So sort of one of the big decisions that comes when you get towards the end of the reg training is how you want to divide up your time um, in the long run for between clinical and academic and quite a lot of people who do academic training um, will be full-time clinicians but who are research active recruiting patients to studies and that's seen as a successful outcome of the programme. Other people will do 80% research and just do a couple of clinics a week and be predominantly university employed and there's everything in between and for me I want to spend most of my time as a clinician but use what I have learned to have some research sessions and be able to improve the access for older people to research studies because one of the big problems is getting older people into research so that the studies that we're doing are relevant to them when we're interpreting the evidence. So maybe we can you can answer this together so we'll go between yourselves but what do you think are the good parts and the the bad parts of this sort of academic career path that you guys have headed down so far? I mean, I think Sarah's already touched on it. You have a much greater level of independence than you'll get in your clinical training, and your time is your own. I mean, you need to have outputs and you need to have produced something at the end of it, but how you go about that is very much up to you, Um, and that's been great. There's been real flexibility, and I think you learn a lot of the skills that you probably need as consultant around management writing a grant application is not that different to writing a business case and all those skills that you get very little time to train in as a registrar I think the academic training whether you go on to carry on research or not is really useful for that I think that's probably the you know yeah and just um having the opportunity to and to explore an area that you're incredibly interested in and very passionate about as well and potentially the output as well potentially you might actually make a difference that's going to improve the care of old people and i think that's really exciting and i think in geriatrics as well because for so long it was such a neglected area of research it's kind of there's a there's a massive kind of gap in the market for good research studies with older people which is really exciting Mm. for kind of i find that really exciting and that's why I love doing geriatrics and love doing research, essentially. Excellent. Um, I mean, I, I'm admiring your enthusiasm, but there must be some bad sides. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Me and Nick can moan about our jobs for some time. We wanted to. <laughs> so what, what, what are the, the downsides, do you think? Are there any? 
So I think when the programme first started, one of the downsides was that nobody really knew what you were doing. Mm. Um, but that has lessened a lot over the years and it's much more integrated and there's a lot more people doing at least some part of the academic training. I think the other thing is um, I split my time six months of the year, but no project ever comes to the end perfectly on rotation day. Mm. So you always end up using a bit of your own time in the next job to try and get stuff settled and sorted or set up for the next time as well. Um but I think there's far more positives than negatives about it. Yeah, definitely. I think you know. far more positives. I think, um, yeah, I'd encourage anyone who's interested in, in doing even just a very small research project to get involved because it is brilliant and it does give you skills, as Claire sort of touched on, that you would never gain normally in clinical practice like for my PhD at the moment I'm managing kind of a large grant and kind of the finance of that and managing a team and working with people who are not medics all the time or not clinical necessarily I think it's a really valuable skill to learn Um, we've had really funny conversations about kind of kind of purchasing certain things and kind of how and and just skills that you would never learn normally clinically um, that we've sort of learn through doing research essentially and I think you get I think one of the things is in training is you rotate a lot through different departments Mm. and for me my academic department has been stable now for the last three or four years which is really nice you go back you work with the same people it really does allow you to sort of develop relationships with the team and a bit of a network as well so that's been and you meet different people as well Mm. that you just don't meet in the clinical training and I think having time as well so that's the thing I found so valuable is that Um, if I want to go to a meeting down in London and meet with some collaborators down there I can just go I don't have to kind of although obviously clinical training is is flexible and things but you have to book it and all and you arrange Mm -hmm. the rotor and all of that kind of stuff well actually when you are out of program if you need to go to a meeting or a conference or whatever you can just go and I think having that flexibility is really valuable as Mm. well I think you know it sounds like you're, you're obviously really enthusiastic about it but one what would you say is one tip each about people who are interested in perhaps starting an academic clinical fellowship, what would you suggest as your one bit of advice? Golden nugget. I think just go and talk to people who are research active. I think um, introduce yourself to them kind of, and, and just listen to what they're doing at the moment and um, see whether you like that, see whether that's something that's interest, that interests you. Um, so go and see people where you are working at the moment or further afield if you want. One thing that I found really useful is Twitter, um, yeah. just for kind of um, hearing about papers that have been published and um, what's going on in different centres. I found Twitter really, really useful. And then when you go to conferences, you sort of bump into people that you are aware of through Twitter. Um, and it's been a really mm. valuable way of networking. Okay, well, that's good. How about you? I think exactly the same. It's it's the people that you meet, and um, don't be shy to get in touch with people. Nobody is, uh, you know, too senior to drop an email and say that you're interested in what they do. They might not have a project at the time, but they'll be able to point you in the direction of somebody who does. And I think it's always nice if you get an email from somebody who says they're interested and they want to help out, and you can usually find something for them to do. So, absolutely. So, Pete, I hear you're going out of programme this year. <laughs> Rumour has it. Yeah, my uh, my academic credentials are nothing on these guys. <laughs> yeah. But I'm actually proof that what they're talking about works in that just through meeting people with an academic background, getting chatting to them and having similar interests um, means that I've now got a post as a research fellow lined up for next year at a programme. Um, it's only 12 months at the moment, but like you said, that's 
when, hopefully a project will come together out of that and it will then get extended into a, an MD or a PhD. And I'm quite a long way through my training. So I've, I'm three years through as a registrar now and I've still got this opportunity um, to go out of program and, and do a bit of research. So even if, I'd say to anyone, even if you're, you haven't gone down the ACF route, there is still the opportunity to get involved through the sort of advice that these guys have been giving today, actually. And do you feel that some of your preconceptions about research has been lifted today? I, I, wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say that. I would say, actually, um, when I started as a doctor, I had some preconceptions about research. And that as I matured as a doctor and realised its value, how interesting it can be, um, and its potential for where it can take your career, I then became interested in it. And I think I'm, as a result, I missed out on the earlier applications, things like the Foundation Programme and the ACF Programme. Um, but now, obviously, I'm keen to, keen to be involved in it, and thankfully I've got the opportunity to do so. So for those who may have been like me, who just couldn't imagine... A career, a career was anything other than a clinician when they started working there is still the opportunity to to get involved if you want to I think you've touched on something as well about research in itself in that it's such a broad um kind of term so I think a lot of people when they think about research think about laboratories and pipetting yeah. and, and microscopes and things but actually I mean neither Claire or I are doing research that's anything like that we're both doing very clinical research mm. with patients that and, and interactions with patients and things so I think there's something for everyone if you want to do that kind of research in a lab and 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 kind of have a distance from patients and that's absolutely fine um, but also if you want to go the other way and, and spend all your time with patients and that's absolutely an option as well I think there's something for everyone yeah and I think um, because I did an integrated degree as well and it was very lab based um, and it and while those things can be good experience it, it sometimes doesn't show you the whole picture really and I think again like you said talking to people who are, and seeing people do the much more clinical side of research if that's what you're interested in there's a huge range of possibilities there as well. Well, thank you very much for uh, for both uh, joining us today on CotiCast. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were excellent. <laughs> so thanks very much. And um, that's it from us. And we will see you next time on CotiCast. <laughs>